The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Before we get started, I want to remind you that today's episode is brought to you by rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Welcome on to the first ever in-playoffs edition of Hollinger and Duncan. We have much to discuss here the lottery has happened. John has written a lot about that. We're going to debate some ideas back and forth, specifically about the Warriors and their number two pick. Uh, we got to talk about the debacle that has been the last three years for the Philadelphia 76ers and got a bunch of other categories that we want to talk about uh, as a way to bring you our observations from this first week of playoff action. You still alive after four games a day for a week here? Yeah, yeah, it's a, you know, th- thankfully the uh a, cu- a couple of these teams have been kind enough to excuse themselves relatively quickly, so <laughs> they've uh, lightened our workload here for the coming week. Uh Orlando winning game 1 was a was a bit of a blow to that, but it, it seems like we're restored now. Yeah. For sure. So, uh the lottery happened on Thursday. Golden State gets the number 2 pick and it, I guess we don't even necessarily have to focus on Golden State first, but just what were your general thoughts coming out of the lottery and how that's going to affect the landscape of the league? Yeah, I mean, certainly Golden State landing at number two is probably the biggest thing because if they landed at five, I think that pick would have been seen as having less trade value in this particular draft. At number two, that still seems pretty juicy when you're looking at probably Ball or Edwards. Maybe maybe there's a couple teams who'd look at Wiseman there, although I, I'm not sure I would really recommend that. Um, but oh, I lo- love Wiseman. He's but he's number two on my board. Oh man, I can't wait to have this debate with you about the draft we got. Oh really? Okay, uh, okay. Yeah, I yeah. mean that's a. I mean obviously a potential direction for the Warriors is to just pick at two, right? That that is a way that is a way they could go. Um, and, and I honestly I think I would probably end up advocating that because. It seems to me, and you noted this really well in your piece, that when there's not a clear hierarchy of who's number one, who's number two, that makes it really hard to trade the pick. Yeah, because teams figure, well, I'll just stay where I am, and there's a decent chance I'll get equivalent value to what I could have gotten for trading up, or that my guy might be there. Like, I might end up with the same guy. Uh, When you know for a fact that somebody will be gone after the fourth pick, it really incentivizes you to move up to three or four, right? Um, That's a hypothetical example. Yeah, and it really behooves the Warriors to be just absolutely airtight about who they like. (laughs) You mean internally? Yeah, well, because if, let's say, whoever's at number four really likes a guy, 
they need to fear that the Warriors might take him yeah. at number two. Yeah, that, what you have to actually do is is have a few smoke screens out there. Wait, wait, what? What? The, 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 lie to the media? <laughs> I, of course, would never do such a thing. But I've heard stories about other teams doing this. You, you mean you mean like Travis Schlenk wasn't being truthful when he told Woj that they were seriously considering Luca in the in the 2018 draft? It wasn't it wasn't being truthful about that? <laughs> I, have a, I have a feeling maybe that was a that was a stretch. Uh, you never know, but uh, I mean, certainly there's other examples of that from previous drafts too, where uh, t- teams didn't tip J- Josh their hand Jackson and, and Danny Ainge in uh, 2017. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and and really, um, you know, I th- I think for for Boston, I mean, that whole trade came about partly because they knew that Philly was trading up to get Fultz and not Tatum, who was the guy they liked. And that the Lakers sort of tipped their hand that they were going to take Lonzo second. You know, that's what set that whole chain of events, right? Absolutely, yeah. Well, uh, we'll uh, we'll be discussing that chain of events <laughs> momentarily. So it, this is why I think I see Golden State potentially using the pick is if you can't get the value that you want for number two, then now there is the potential of driving the new car off the lot with that pick. Mm-hmm. But if you pick the guy. And then he looks good. Then his trade value only goes up at that point. It could go down and maybe the, that guy's not going to get a lot of reps on a team that's actually trying to win. But if he looks at all competent, then you can always trade him later would mm-hmm. be my thought. If you're really not getting the value and also, Hey, maybe the guy's really good and you just hold on to him and he's the anchor for the next 10 years of, of Warriors basketball because the rest of their guys are old. So it, you kind of get more optionality by using the pick. If in fact you don't have a true difference maker available, and maybe that's what a, a good time to transition to uh, some of the ideas that you had for them in the trade market. Yeah, so I I think that's a good point that you, you worry a little that the Warriors are a little too focused on the on the present, and I mean certainly they want to see if they can get another ring out of this group, but. They could leave themselves high and dry potentially. Now they're sitting on two pretty good assets here. The number two pick this year and then the Minnesota pick two years from now, which you hope will still be decent. Yeah. Is it two years from now? Top three year, protected. Actually? Top um, three protected in 2021 and unprotected yeah. in 2022. Yeah. And so I think one of the things though that Golden State has to look at, like if, are they a for real contender with the roster they have now in the West? I kind of question that. So, like, if if you're really going to make a go for it with with this group and pay a hundred gazillion dollars in luxury tax, then you could argue that a thing you should do is look to package the pick and the Wiggins contract and get a better player in that salary slot. Yeah, I, I think so. My rule of thumb for this would be, and now they don't have to come, but they could also. I mean, I think what would be the best best idea would be the Wiggins contract and the pick or picks, and then also using the trade exception perhaps independently, they also yeah. might have the possibility of throwing in one of their own future first-round picks with that trade exception to just get like a solid rotation piece. Because if they, uh, and, you know, also in theory using the mini-mid-level, which will probably get them a pretty decent player. At, but as you noted, that's going to be massive luxury tax. They just took out a $250 million line of credit reportedly. So that will maybe give them the wherewithal to do that. But I think my general thought on trading either of those two picks would be if this deal in our mind makes us the championship favorites this year, I would do it. Otherwise, I would not. 
Okay. Do you think Drew Holiday makes them a, a favorite for the championship? Well, and here's the problem with the, with the rule I just came up with and why I might not want to make the move right away also, because I think, I think it, with more clarity as well, you might see that moves could be available around the trade deadline. I, I think they have no idea what this team is going to be. They have a theory they can rehab Andrew Wiggins some, but they, I mean, they'll at least have had like some OTAs, mm-hmm. but uh, by then, but you're not going to really know with Andrew Wiggins. Steph Curry at age 32, I mean, you imagine he's going to be the same guy, but you don't know that. And then Clay Thompson and Draymond Green. I mean, is Draymond just kind of done now? Is he going to come back with a vengeance or is he the guy that we saw in the regular season this year? And uh, it wasn't just that he was moping through. And Clay Thompson coming off a torn ACL, is he going to be that high level championship player? Because ultimately, I think if those guys are back at the all three, those guys are at the level they've been. They absolutely are, are a championship contender. I don't see necessarily that dominant team out there. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and, and then you can add around that group. If they're not, if those guys aren't there, then no matter what you do, you're not winning a championship. So I would, I mean, if you have a no brainer move, yeah, you do it. Drew Holiday to me, not a no brainer move to make you the championship favorite because you just don't know how good those other guys are yet. So I would try to punt a little bit and see whether, uh, how next season starts and you can hopefully make the move at the trade deadline unless there's just something so blindingly obvious out there uh-huh. that that would be my philosophy so if you wait to the trade deadline the one thing that that clearly comes into view is is bradley beal and then the the other thing that's a possible that's hanging out there is the sixers might be ready to split up simmons and Embiid by then and there's and- also the possibility of Giannis as well Maybe that's yeah. more likely at the trade deadline than it is uh, in this offseason. Because I think no matter what happens this year, they're just going to keep Giannis around and see what next year brings. Uh, but maybe they start off next year really badly or ownership cheaps out again this year. And, you know, it becomes clear to Giannis that they're not going to win the championship. And he says, hey, if you trade me um, because I'm not going to resign. Yeah, that that could be in play, too. Um, the... The other thing is, um, you, you get to see what you got from the trade exception first. I mean, you have yeah. to use that exception right away. So if you don't use the exception to do something with that number two pick, if you use it in another way. So what, one of the things I put out there before is Kevon Looney and a second round pick for Rudy Gay, which Gay just fits in that exception. He can play four and a little bit of five for him. He doesn't screw up their spacing. Um, and you get off of some money with with Looney to offset the f- how much money Gay makes. Yeah, that that would be a thought that the Spurs need to really save a, a little bit as yeah. well. Yeah, they got a little bit of a tax issue next year, and obviously they're going young. I don't really see how Rudy fits with that. I mean, obviously on a team that's trying to win right now, I think he he fits that trajectory much better. Yeah, that's. Uh, I mean, they've got a lot of places to go, but I think ultimately, though, part of the reason I think I, I would end up just using the pick is that I don't think there's anyone out there that's available that at least in a normal draft would be worth spending the number two pick on. And you just, yeah, you can say, hey, it's not a normal draft. But number one, a lot of times those predictions just end up being wrong about Mm -hmm. what's a good draft and what isn't. And number two, just when you have the number two overall pick, like you just, there ends up just being some anchoring, right? Like you can't trade the number two overall pick for a guy who's not an all-star in holiday, who's only under contract for one more year. I mean, that was just... Compared to what you get for a top five pick in a trade historically when you're trading it for a player, 
that's just so low unless you're Ernie Grunfeld. <laughs> Mike Miller and Randy Foy. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I, you've, you've kind of sold me on, uh, on keeping the pick and playing it out, but I, I like to come up with trades. So, oh, no, me too. I'm, I'm and <laughs> I'm still hoping they do that yeah. selfishly. Yeah. But Cause I, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. You're right. That is probably the better move for them to, to pick. Now, one thing that Kevin Pelton has brought up is the idea of trying to use that pick to trade for someone who's still on a rookie scale contract. He threw out OG Ananobi and Mikhail Bridges as possible targets. And while those guys are great fits, uh-huh. that still just doesn't seem like quite enough for the number two pick. Yeah. To me. Uh, J- John Collins would probably be the other name. Yeah, but I don't think he fits into what they're trying to do. I don't think he's a great fit with Draymond Green. He hasn't proven anything in the playoffs. Like they need, they need. I think you have to get a wing there. Uh, sorry, cat, cat, sitting in my microphone here. Go, go lay down. All right. So, uh, anything else uh, on the, the lottery, or should we uh, take a little break here and then move on? Let's uh, let's pivot here to back to the playoffs. You all know that John and I have to be very precise in our work, whether it's the CBA, breaking down film, writing, podcasting, and that's why we both like Grammarly, which is the digital writing tool you can always rely on to get your message across clearly and effectively. It works across pretty much every platform you can think of, Gmail, Google Docs, Slack. You can even download their app and use it on your phone for when you're writing texts. There's more to writing well than catching spelling mistakes. This can help you improve your writing in so many ways. You know, the old saying, forgive the length of this letter for I had not the time to make it shorter. Well, Grammarly can help you with that. They can help you be more concise, avoid repeating words too often. Grammarly Premium gives you advanced feedback even on your tone. Their app can tell you even whether a text sounds friendly or not. So you can improve your writing on all of your favorite sites and apps. Get clear, flawless text that's sure to impress. It doesn't just correct your mistakes. It helps you build up your skills as a writer. You can see the suggestions that it's making and internalize those to your writing. And right now you can get 20% off Grammarly Premium when you sign up at Grammarly.com slash PER. Easy to remember slash PER because John invented it. That's 20% off Grammarly Premium at Grammarly.com slash PER. G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y. Grammarly.com slash PER. Don't forget that slash PER to let them know that you came from us. David Harrison here, the Locked on Washington football team podcast, celebrating with you a 21-grain salute to a less boring sandwich thanks to Dave's Killer Bread. I don't know about you guys, but when I eat pizza, I eat it for the toppings, not the crust. And when I eat a sandwich, it's for what's inside the bread, not for the bread. But when I throw a sandwich on 21 whole grains and seeds, thin sliced bread from Dave's Killer Bread, it is the epitome of addition by subtraction. That thin sliced bread lets me focus on what's inside the sandwich, but also adds to the sandwich with killer taste, killer texture, killer nutrition, a subtle sweetness, and a seed-coated crust. Dave's Killer Bread is America's number one organic bread bread for a reason it tastes so stinking good dave's killer bread is made with the highest quality organic and non-gmo ingredients and is power packed with whole grains fiber and protein visit daveskillerbread.com to learn more and look for dave's killer bread in the bread aisle of your local grocery store so we knew that the sixers were probably drawing dead without ben simmons in the first round but that said the and i I wouldn't call it a laid out because I think they did play hard in all but game two. Yeah. But they just were so non-competitive, particularly on offense, 
that it does seem like this may be a point at which we realize that the Sixers team just doesn't have a way to contention in the future, even if Simmons comes back. Yeah, that was it was hard to like. I think we all expected them to be drawing dead, so to speak, but not quite this dead. Uh, yeah. Like the 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 Embiid matchup still offered some intrigue. Boston didn't have Hayward. That there were places you could talk yourself into this this going, you know, six games or something. And that's what I picked. So yes, <laughs> yeah, that's so I had it going six games as well, and. Just re- really at both ends, they just they just weren't quite there. Uh, Boston picked apart their drop coverage, uh, especially in game two. And offensively, there was just never enough around Embiid in terms of the perimeter playmaking or shooting. And that was a weakness all season. Um, but de- defensively, this team should have been better and just wasn't. And really, from the first game in the bubble when they gave up 53 to TJ Warren, they, they they still even when Simmons was was playing just w- were so much less defensively than what we thought they would be. Yeah, Josh Richardson had one good defensive game in Game Three, but he was not the same player this season. I thought Al Horford certainly wasn't. There was a thought that they could, would just be able to protect the rim so well with both him and Abid Horford didn't play well. They didn't mesh offensively. He was relegated even with Simmons out to being a backup and then you know you kind of just have Embiid and Richardson and Thibel wasn't ready offensively so he couldn't play that much and so it was just you had like a big center and some guys essentially uh and I thought Embiid is not as good defensively as he has been in past years either with his mobility and he has to take on this big offensive load yeah so it was yeah his conditioning is definitely a problem in in terms especially when you get in a playoff situation where you need where you're trying to ramp him up to high minutes and he kind of couldn't do it. Uh, you, like you could see him tail off in second halves. Uh, he still was really good. I mean, cl- clearly their best player, right? Uh, but not, not a guy who could dominate the game by himself. Well, and perhaps I, I agree that Embiid, you know, it's tough for him. They weren't getting him the ball to in positions where he could really dominate, you know, like posting up right at the charge circle when he would try and do that. It, they would miss him a bunch of times, you know, the, and Boston's a good defensive team, but and this is another data point to me that you just can't win a championship with a center as your best player in today's NBA, and and that you just you know a center. I don't know how a center can even really be a top five player in today's NBA unless unless he does non center things, <laughs> right? right? I mean, Giannis is kind of a center, but yeah, it, like you got to be able to throw the ball to him on the perimeter is is what I'm saying, mm-hmm. like and let him attack that way. Like it's just. Too hard to get the ball into the post. If you've got all these resources in your center and your center is your best player offensively, then kind of by definition, you don't have anyone else on the perimeter who's that good. And you just, you know, you need the Kobe to the Shaq. Yeah. In other words. Yeah. That, that's, that's a good way of playing it. Uh, you can have one A and one B, but th- when your center is just one, that, that makes it hard. Yeah. And then you throw in the fact that, uh, he also was playing by design with, uh, three other power forwards in the starting lineup next to him. That was a bit of a problem as well. Yeah, are, are we on Embiid or Jokic right now? <laughs> well, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll 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 get there. But I wanted to ask you this. I mean, it, we don't need to do a full post mortem on how it was that the Sixers got here. I mean, your colleague Derek Bodner and and uh, Rich Hoffman at the Athletic have been all over that. But I, did I actually wrote about it today yeah. too. Yeah, yeah. There you go. So uh, check that out at the Athletic. But 
I did want to ask you this. I mean, really the inflection point of where it all goes wrong for them is they get the number three pick, get it because of the hinky pick swap to go up from five with the Kings in 2017. They trade up for the guy who looks like the perfect fit with Simmons and Embiid to be that one B ball handler on the perimeter, Markel Fultz. And he obviously never really played in a Sixers uniform and got traded for a very low first round pick in a salary dump. What did you think? of Fultz and Tatum at that time and that trade? So we had debates internally between the two uh, as to which one should be one and which one should be two. We didn't spend a ton of time on it because we knew we weren't picking one or two <laughs> that right. year. And I, I, I'm trying to remember if we even had a first-round pick in that draft. Um, so not a, not a whole lot of energy spent on that in, internally. But certainly, I mean, I, Fultz, I don't think you could have ever projected what happened with Fultz happening where he, where he got the yips and his shot went all haywire. I mean, he was a good player in, in college. He did stuff that reminded you of Dwayne Wade with his athleticism and his size and, uh, you know, kind of his ability to get, not just get in the paint, but also he, he was really good getting into pull-ups. Um, and then that's just been lost kind of, um, good passer too. Yeah. Yeah. Gr- absolutely. Great dribble moves. Yeah. Like I loved him. I thought he was going to be, I thought, the Sixers got a steal. I didn't think that Tatum was going to be this level of a shooter at all. You know, from three, I just thought he was going to be one of these like wannabe Carmelo mid-range two-point artists. That was who wasn't- that was definitely a concern with you. you were not yeah. alone in that. That the ball could get a little sticky with him, and if he wasn't a, a great shooter, it might not work out that well. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I didn't see him I making, mean, draft, you know... People don't realize yeah. how hard the draft is in terms of trying to project what a 19-year-old is going to be like when he's 24 and 25. Um, and that's why, yeah. you know, that's how we end up with, you know, Fred Van Vliet going undrafted and Jabari Parker being the second overall pick. Like, it's just hard. Well, and who who knows what Jason Tatum would have been if he doesn't go to Boston and become this great three-point shooter and have great coaching and kind of learn great habits as a role player having to earn his time early and now he's hitting you know step back threes going to his right five times a game like you know which just that just was not part of his profile other than his free throw shooting being really good that was really the only indicator that he was going to be that level of shooter to me and you know Fultz I think I did miss on him because I may have overrated his athleticism a little bit but maybe he just doesn't look as athletic because he can't actually like hit a jump shot right now so no i i totally missed on that i liked that move a lot for the sixers and if you look at what ended up happening with the additional pick that they traded the lakings pick ended up being the 14th pick from sacramento like they totally won romeo langford right it it doesn't yeah it ended up not really mattering right yeah they totally won on like the asset play it just and i didn't really i thought Tatum would be okay but i liked jonathan isaac more than him in that draft and isaac's been good but not as good as tatum uh by any stretch of the imagination so but then all the other stuff I thought were there. And the Jimmy Butler trade I thought was a good trade. I think that was, you know, Covington and Charge for him. That, that was, was, that, was a, that was a reasonable deal. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, even even if you thought he was going to leave, that was a – how is that different from the Kawhi trade that Toronto made? What did you make of Chris Haynes reporting that the Sixers offered Jimmy Butler a max contract but said you have to not take any meetings? I think – it, it so it makes sense to me in the in the sense that if you had other stuff lined up and you didn't want him to drag out the process and lose those options right 
that you would just say, okay, if you if you if you take this right now, we have a deal. But if you're going to go through meetings and you know, yeah, and do that, and also, I think as a as a team, you sort of know that if that if you offered the guy you most you can, and he's still taking meetings, he's probably not coming back anyway. Right. Yeah. What has the guy ever taken meetings and then come back? It's pretty rare that that happens. That they go through the whole charade of that and then actually still come back. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So. I mean, I guess we went through that twice with guys who weren't quite as high profile with Mark and Mike, where uh, Mark didn't take any meetings, and Mike had one meeting that was just sort of set up almost as a favor, and and we sort of already knew going into that meeting how it was going to end. So, um, I, you know, as, as on the team side, I think you have a pretty good idea uh, when when the curtain comes up on July one, whether, whether your guy is coming back or not. And now I will say that max contract is a term that is ripe for obfuscation in today's day and age. And so does that mean they offered him the full five year max? Was it the true five year? Was it, was it, was it a partial on year five? Was it, you know, were there other strings attached? Who knows? And my guess would be probably yes, because it really seemed like Butler was very focused on getting his money. Yeah. And, you know, there was some friction there, obviously, and all that. But uh, it, it does not appear that they offered him the, the full five-year max. And, you know, it's worked out well for Butler. I think he's he seems happier in Miami. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, we'll talk at some further point about what the hell the Sixers do from here. I mean, the, the Harris trade, I thought, was completely asinine the moment it happened. That That's the one I really point to as, man, they have totally blown it. Because they basically used a bunch of assets to get him, and they used their cap space for last year as well to re-sign him. And yeah. yeah. The, the true turning point, And now they have a, a toxic contract, even though like Tobias Harris is a pretty good player, but just to pay him what he's making to just be a pretty good player is nonsensical. It just puts them so far behind the eight ball on the cap thing. And now if, the, if they're not willing to pay the tax, they're in a real bind. And would you be willing to pay the tax for this group? You know, I mean, so they maybe they're paying to get off Al Horford's contract at this point in time. Uh, only two and a half years left on that. Uh, the partial guarantee in the last year. But yeah, that's, uh, that's pretty tough. They really, to fire all your bullets on Tobias Harris, who, you know, is maybe the fourth best player on a good team. And he's not even really like a great fit guy either. It yeah. was pretty tough. Yeah. Okay. Let's get into, uh, talking about these playoffs here. Yeah. Sure. Sure. This is uh, it's been it's been pretty good, right? I mean, the cer- certainly, Luke. You know, a couple of these series have been duds, but the ones that have been good have been pretty darn good. Oh, absolutely, and yeah, I mean, the East having three sweeps is not great, but also I think we knew where those series were going before, and I I, I would hope Indiana could have done a little bit better. Uh, I I would say I, I yeah, I was hoping they put up more than more of a fight. I've generally been impressed with Miami since the moment they got to the bubble. That they've just looked like a sharper, better version of the team they were uh, before the hiatus. Uh, Goran Dragic has definitely got some of his juice back. Defensively, they just look sharper. I think starting Bam at, at five and, and and not playing Myers Leonard has been a good adjustment. So they they just look better. And Indiana obviously has been hurt by some of the injuries. Oladipo is still out of sorts. He's completely lost track of what a good shot is. Oof. And and that's that that's hurt them. And then they they just don't have a lot of 
it's it's tough when when those injuries hit you, you. There's just not a lot of different ways for them to play than what they're doing. And so if Plan A doesn't work, you kind of there's not a lot of Plan B and Plan C for them, as opposed to Toronto, who can go in like eight different directions depending on you know how a game is flowing. Indiana just kind of had Plan A, and and then if they lost, it was just let's do Plan A better. But there there's just only so much they can do in that matchup. Yeah, and then you throw in Miami switching, really forcing them to just continue doing Plan A, which was kind of with all these guards what they want to do anyway. They're not a great passing team, and it, you know I think it's my observation from Game Three was that they finally made and they got close in Game Three, right? But yeah. They should have been in game one where they were in game three from a strategic standpoint for just an overall understanding of how to attack switching rotation stuff. They finally got McConnell out of the rotation. Yeah. That started, kind of stuff. Ho- like, started Justin holiday. Yeah. 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 Stuff, stuff you would have hoped would have happened more quickly. Yeah. That's, you know, that's a pet peeve of mine when they make the adjustment in game four that they should have made at halftime of game one. Yeah, and moreover, I mean, you and I talked about some of those adjustments before the series even started. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So <laughs> and, it wasn't and, wasn't like stuff out of left field. Yeah. yeah. So it's not, you know, uh, one observation I've had is that the bad coaches in the playoffs or the not as good coaches in the playoffs, they don't just never make the adjustment, like Scott Brooks in the 2012 finals, like taking Kendrick Perkins out of the starting lineup. Yeah. But they do it in game three instead of, as you mentioned, yeah, halftime of game one. Yeah. And so, yeah, just not enough discipline. You know, the Oladipo shots is another thing, you know, for him to lead the team in shots in the last game when Brogdon had it going that well was just uh, ridiculous. And some terrible long twos and pull up threes. Uh, it, it was not good for him. So, um, but yeah, we, we got a bunch of categories of stuff we wanted to talk about here. Sure. So let's, uh, let's run through some of those. Any of these jump out to you as uh, something you really wanted to talk about? Uh, Okay, so biggest change to my pre-series predictions. Uh, I'll say uh, picking Denver in six is looking like a problem. Oh, well, that, that's interesting, John. I know somebody you, uh, who picked Utah. I can't, I can't remember who it was. Eric Woodyard of ESPN? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I said this before, but what I didn't understand was, uh, let me ask you this. Who would you have picked at full strength in these series? Boyan is there, Harris and Barton are there. I still would have felt pretty decent about Denver in that scenario. I actually think that scenario would have pushed things more toward Denver's advantage. Yeah. Now, we can't forget that Mike Conley was supposed to miss the first two games as well, maybe the first three games, and he's been huge for them in in these last two. Um, As a veteran Conley watcher, I was I tweeted yesterday that I thought he looks like he's kind of back to the guy yeah, that they looks traded for. He looked, Do you agree with he that? Looks, yeah, he looks good. He just looks comfortable. He uh, like even the um, big uh, big play. Uh, I think it was at the end of the third. Um, you know, Nuggets got a turnover and a quick basket, and it looked like they were starting to get a little momentum. And he dribbled up and made the quick two for one three pointer. Oh yeah, and just like let it rip, you know, <laughs> and uh, uh, and and then I think Mitchell got to the line at the end of the quarter too, and and so it w- went from like down six to down one, maybe I don't have the play by play in front of me, but I-, I thought that was a kind of an underrated shift right there. Uh, yeah, I think it actually put them up eight going into the fourth is what it was. Like the Nuggets were threatening. Okay. And, okay. 
Yeah, yeah, you're right. Because they never, yeah, yeah. Um, but but I just thought like I've seen just a like a little more of that that kind like he's not thinking about it anymore. He's just playing now, and I think yeah. he's he's gotten he's gotten the uh, chemistry down with Gobert too. He's yes. not, he's not he's not looking to throw a bounce pass to to Marcus at the free throw line anymore, which I think he was doing for a while with 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 Gobert, and he hasn't really. He, I mean, he didn't have lob threats in in Memphis for, for almost all the time we were there. There were like the 11 games that Brandon Wright was healthy. We had a <laughs> yeah, lob threat. And then that. the rest of the time we pretty much didn't. So this is the first time he's really had a target like this since he was playing with Greg Oden in high school. Yeah. And he's done, I think he's done a really nice job with, he hasn't gotten that many pick and roll reps, but he's also been a great spot up shooter. You know, that's something yeah. that uh, our boss, David Locke pointed out to a, uh, to people is how good he is as a spot up guy. And then he's really doing a good job of in the pick and roll, engaging the big, forcing that big to guard him and then letting Gobert get behind the defense and hitting him with the lob. Yeah. Yeah. And because he's doing that, he's had to rely less on the floater where I think early in the season, I mean, he was shooting, he's a good floater shooter with his right hand, but he was shooting so many floaters. Um, and it was kind of like if you played Utah, that was what you could do, right? Just force Ingles, Mitchell, and Conley into shooting 100 floaters, and they'd make 40% of them, and yeah. you'd win. Well, I, I've got news for you. This Denver defense can't force anybody to do anything. Not good. No, no. And I mean, this is going to be – I mean, it wouldn't shock me, but if it continues like this, this might be like the worst defensive performance statistically by like any team ever in a playoff series. Like they're giving up a 130 – one thirty three point seven. That's what it is through four games. Yeah, yeah. Holy fuck. Yeah, I mean they're scoring one twenty. <laughs> yeah, and they, had a and they could, easy, and they could easily they have been swept. Yeah, yeah. They should have been swept. Yeah. Had it not been for the eight second violation, and I mean they give it up. I mean Donovan Mitchell is a nice player. You know, I I'm not sure I would have even had him as an all star this year, and for him to have. Only the third ever performance of two fifty point games in a playoff series against you. Your yeah. defense might not be that good. Like the other people to do that were Allen Iverson and Michael Jordan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like not not quite in the same stratosphere here. Uh, that like they can't they can't even get a rebound. They're uh, man. Yeah. Well, and yeah. We'll we'll. Uh, I, I got a few more categories in which they they will pop up later. Okay. To, to be okay. sure. Um, I think. Clippers Dallas would be the other one for me where uh it's kind of changed my my thoughts on it because I thought that the Clippers could bother Dallas defensively. They did that in the regular season. That has not been the case in this playoff series. Um you know, Luca has been unbelievable. They have just had few answers for him. Every once in a while they'll get a, a nice series of, of plays. I've also just really really enjoyed the coaching matchup in this with just a ton of adjustments either way from both the guys who are you know we, we talked about how yeah. fun that would be beforehand that's that's lived up to its billing seeing these guys go back and forth a little bit so i'm uh i'm loving this series and i still got the clippers to win it but i think you know i, I think i had clippers in five maybe i yeah i think i had, I had clippers in five i but. had clippers in six i want to say which i still feel okay about um but yeah that's impressive that dallas could win Without Porzingis, uh, you know, in game one, they could have won. You know, if Porzingis doesn't get ejected, they could have potentially won that one. I mean, game yeah. three was the only game where the Clippers really put their clamps into them. Agreed. 
Uh, so yeah, where do you see that series going from here? I still think it's the Clippers series. I still think there's some, uh, some, some adjustments that the Clippers, I mean, the Clippers have so many things they can do with their roster. We'll see if Pat Bev gets back in there, which obviously would tilt things, I think, back in the Clippers favor, make a, make some of the switching a little easier for them than having to switch these guys like Jackson and, and Shamit all the time onto onto dangerous players cuz even i mean even when they have those guys on Tim Hardaway it's kind of advantage Dallas right and yeah i think that's been a problem i think carlo has been really able to get some good minutes out of boban uh which is which has really helped and that's a huge surprise to me yeah and the clippers have not been able to attack him the way you might have suspected um they are a team where the ball can get a little sticky as you pointed out Dallas hasn't really need to go to that zone you notice no, that? No, that's a surprise. We haven't seen that at all. Uh, I thought the the doubling on Kawhi last game was a good adjustment because he was Big beasting. Time. He was beasting Kleba, uh, which I mean, how strong is he that he's right? Like this is a guy Dallas uses a backup five, and Kawhi's just like taking him to a block and overpowering him. Um, so, so I thought I thought that worked. And then the other variable here is Paul George can't make a shot. And is it the shoulder? Like, is it a physical thing that's going to manifest the the entire series? Or is it just a fluke? If it's just a fluke, then I think, you know, advantage Clippers, right? But if this is a real thing and he can't shoot, that's a problem. Like, the, the Clippers yeah. got a lot of mileage out of Paul Paul George, like off pin downs, off off stuff away from the ball, just, just off pull-ups being really dangerous from three. And it's just not there right now. Yeah, I, like his misses haven't been that bad. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I'm hopeful that he's going to be able to turn it around a, a little bit. And the other thing that he, he noted too, he needs to do more is get to the basket, which he did in the overtime, but just somehow missed a wide open layup in game yeah. four. But he's going to, he has the size advantage on whoever he's going against. And hopefully they can find some ways to get him going because these, the floor is just so spread open. Um, all right, take another quick break here. We'll get to a few more of these uh, observations. Protein bars are an awesome way to get a quick snack, not have too many carbs or calories. But until Built Bar, they really didn't taste very good. Regular protein bars taste like they just came out the back of a cement truck. But the new improved Built Bar is even delicious-er. They've got 18 amazing flavors, including nut and non-nut flavors. The six new flavors include caramel brownie, cookies and cream. Mm, Sounds pretty good. Apple almond crisp. And they've got 12 original flavors as well, including German chocolate, peanut butter, mint brownie. The bars are covered in 100% chocolate. They're soft and easy to chew. Great for a keto diet. They're low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber. For example, they're peanut butter, 19 grams of protein, 180 calories, 5 grams of sugar, 5 grams of net carb. And for a limited time, while supplies last, you can get a free cooler with your purchase. Go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON, the name of this network. You'll get $10 off your next order. Use promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. RockAuto.com is a family business. They've served auto parts customers online for 20 years. You can go to RockAuto.com and shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. Everything you need, engine control modules, brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpet. Whether it's your classic or your daily driver, you can get everything you need in a few easy clicks. It's a much better experience than going to the traditional auto parts store. You go up to the counter. You ask them if they have it in stock. They never do. They have to order it. Wouldn't it have been easier to just stay home and get it at rockauto.com? Especially consider 
that the prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers so there's no reason to spend up to twice as much for the same parts go to rockauto.com right now see all the parts available for your car or truck make sure you write locked on in there how did you hear about us box so they know that you came from us amazing selection reliably low prices all the parts your car will ever need rockauto.com so would you based on what's happened so far edit your overall playoff predictions like you know who's going to win the championship who's going to advance the conference finals in any way i haven't seen anything that would really cause a huge shift for me um i guess that east second round if there's no gordon hayward and no kyle lowry i just need to think a little bit about how that tilts things uh but i still think it's probably advantage boston there uh i still like the bucks to come out of the east although they're i mean they're showing some warts a little bit. I mean, it's definitely a little worrying. And then the Clippers, I actually think Dallas is a, is a good, tough team and they're getting a nice test here that, that's sort of snaps them out of their post hiatus slumber a little bit and lets, lets them get Lou Will and Harold back up to speed a little more quickly. I actually think this is good for them in the long run. So I, I haven't seen anything that really shifts my mindset that much. How about on like the Houston Lakers side of the bracket? Yeah, um, Houston is. I I still want to see a couple more games of them against Oklahoma City because the Lakers Lakers lack of shooting is an issue. And but but I also wonder is is Houston like what what is Houston going to throw at them? If Houston is just switching everything, is the Lakers lack of shooting that much of an issue because they're just going to post up Davis and or have LeBron drive to the basket like they're. I don't know. I go back. I well, go back. Well, it is because you can help off of those guys, and and those ISOs are going to be a lot less effective. They they could crowd the paint on on them, and and then you watch you watch Houston against Oklahoma City, and you just one of the things I've wondered about Houston is does an opponent slowly figure them out as the series goes on because it stops being unusual what they're doing. And, well, James Harden in particular, yes, yeah. and you've watched him for a long time. My observation has been that. He's almost become like this caricature of himself offensively where he's doing two things now. He's either dribbling between the legs 97 times and then going hard left, or he's dribbling between the legs 97 times and stepping back to his right. And that's it. Like he doesn't yeah. do anything else. And Lou Dort, you know, they're not switching off of him. They don't really have like a conventional pick and roll play where he can just get downhill hard anymore. He doesn't have any kind of a mid-range game that he can get to uh he's can't really finish against at the rim against the contest anymore but and the floor is so spread a lot of times he doesn't need to but so this dort thing yes dort has been unbelievable on him and when you put a subpar defender on him james harden just kills that guy every time but if you can keep a decent defender on harden it's like he doesn't have any options yeah. anymore yeah i do th- i mean can Houston actually? I mean, they still are capable of running a pick and roll, right? They they still no, have this, they aren't they, apparently. They, they, like, is this even in their playbook still? Like, they, they got to get Dort off of him, right? And yeah. like, have just PJ Tucker. I mean, I think it's really more about Harden, honestly, and the lack of a role man as well. Like, there's nobody who maybe Jeff Green would be the guy to come down the lane and and dunk on you uh, yeah. as the role man. You like you, you actually wonder if if an adjustment is just to start Jeff Green. Well, I mean. Let's not forget it's almost we've almost forgotten about it, but like their second best player hasn't played a minute in the playoffs yet, and yeah. we don't know if he's going to. Yeah, yeah. We 
the the Westbrook variable obviously hangs over the next series. I mean, it hangs. It's one of the reasons I thought this series would go seven is that there's no there's no Westbrook. So you have you everything's on Harden on every possession, which I think can wear him down. He looked completely out of gas at the end of Game Three, and it didn't help that the Thunder were going at him on every single play. Um, and then well, it helped the Thunder. Well, <laughs> yes, <laughs> it helped the Thunder greatly. Um. I think they finally started getting the rhythm a little bit of how to attack Houston's yeah. defense in the second half of game three. Uh, it's kind of been a slog for them this series, uh, especially for CP, but I, I, I just thought they kind of, it, it started tilting their way. I wonder if they're going to take Steven Adams off the floor more in, yeah. in game four. They kind of dabbled with it in, in game three, and I think it worked pretty well for them, but when they can play, the three small guards and Dort and Gallinari. Uh, I think that's a little tougher for Houston to play against. They're not going to guard Dort, but Dort did a pretty good job of back cutting and making himself at least something of a threat. And then obviously defensively, they can't, they can't attack as easily with that five inverted pick and roll with Jeff Green as they could with Adams. The other thing with Adams, I'm a little surprised they didn't have him guarding PJ Tucker more. Well, no, here's why they're not doing that. I think because, uh, this Houston thing where they put PJ Tucker in the strong side corner and then they try to drive baseline from the wing and either your big man helps and then you get a wide open strong side corner three for PJ Tucker one pass away mm-hmm. or you know you're relying on like Dennis Schroeder to come over and provide the weak side help against Harden so I think that's a that's part of the issue there with the big you know same thing that Houston did to the Bucks in that uh in that game early in the bubble. They really are attuned to, if you're going to put your center on P.J. Tucker, we're going to make that center make a choice to either give up a corner three or help. Mm-hmm. So uh my idea, though, was basically play Dort at center on offense and have him set the screen and roll to the rim where he's actually like a powerful driver. And he can. That's he, so yeah. that's what they were doing in the overtime. They had Dort right. set the screen. And I thought I was surprised that Houston didn't just trap the ball handler and ignore Dort. Yeah. Well, if you get it to Dort on the move, he's going to drive right down your throat and finish it. Like he is a great finisher. Um, like, and I think he can also do those quick slips to the rim, getting inside position off the, the switch much better than Adams. Adams is like calcified out there. Like he can't move. Yeah. He, he looks a lot. So, which surprised me because I thought he looked good in the seeding games. But then as, as soon as the series started, just the, the speed, the zippiness, the perimeter stuff. Just, it just wasn't happening. Like he needs to be able to, to mash inside to. Yeah. And he's, he's getting like two offensive rebounds a game. Like that's not enough to make it worth it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause, it, cause you could see, you could imagine when this series started that like Adams could just wear them out and it hasn't played out that way at all. Um, but yeah, I'll be, I mean, this game four that's going to happen later today is going to be an absolute war. And I'm very interested to see what happens. I mean, it looks like looking like this is really morphing into a defensive series. But the last observation I have is I thought OKC compared to Indiana, you know, I think those they've kind of had similar foes with the switching and somewhat similar offenses, and that just a lot of guards who like to drive, but like not you know a ton of ball movement generally within their schemes. OKC definitely has better personnel than Indiana, but I think they've kind of had some of the same issues. OKC has adjusted better, but it still shouldn't have taken until game three, right? Like they targeted Harden like once in the first half of game one and they're yeah. down 20, you know, yeah. before. 
things even and you know they didn't have Dort in that game either, which obviously has been huge. But uh, you know, so they've started. You know, hey, Chris Paul going going as fast as you can at James Harden, or we're going to set the screen higher so you can get your guy going downhill against whoever switches onto you. Almost just treat him like he's the role man playing defense instead of oh I've got a new guy to switch onto me. I got to back it out and go at him again. Yeah, you know, little yeah. things like that. Like they're finally getting that, but. You know, from a coaching standpoint, you just you needed to be there in game one. Yeah, like yeah. Not, you knew yeah. Houston's tactics are not a surprise, right? Yeah. So, yeah, you you could have gone to step ups and some of these other things a little bit earlier. Yeah. Um. Okay. Let's see here. Uh, so, so ultimately, you st- you'd stick with the Lakers over Houston. It's just so hard to know, I guess, without knowing what's happening with Westbrook. Lakers over Houston. I'm 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 still tentatively Lakers on that one. But I mean, that is, that is the one in the second round that I had the most questions about in my head, even going back to March when it looked like that would be the series. I'm like, mm, that's an interesting 4-1 right there. So I'm, okay. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna plant my, my flag one, one side or the other yet. Yeah. I, I will be holding off on making a prediction in that series until I think the last possible moment. By the way, can we, can we discuss one other possibility that's still on the table here? What yeah. what if Oklahoma City advances farther than the Clippers? Oh, oh God! Well, they they've already. I mean, the fact that they were better this year than they were in previous years. All they got to do is win one more game, and they'll have done better than they did with Russell Westbrook and Paul George before they made the trade to totally rebuild and yeah. get rid of those guys. That's right. right? Like, That's right. Yeah. 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 And they're not sending a sixty million dollar luxury tax check to the league this year or whatever it was. Okay, uh, best coaching job so far here in the playoffs. Probably going to go with Quinn Snyder. I thought, I, although I didn't like at the end of game one, I didn't love having Ingles on Murray, and and I thought that hurt them and was a big factor yeah. why they lost. Um, so so that's a demerit. Um, you know, I mean, you can't really say Nick Nurse, right? Because like you or I could have won that series four zero. I think. Um, what do you got, Brad Carlisle? Stevens? Maybe Car. Oh, Carlisle, Carlisle. Yeah, yeah. That's probably the one. He's done a lot of good stuff. Um, I'm surprised that Trey Burke hasn't been more of a problem at the defensive end. Yeah, they've done a good job, really. I, I mean, the Clippers are scoring at a very, very good rate, certainly. But And, you know, I did think there were some foibles with Carlisle in Game 4 that they were able to overcome. Like, the the, the pick and roll, trying to target Lou Williams just didn't work at the mm-hmm. end of regulation as they blew the lead. And then uh, not recognizing that the Clippers had a foul to give and setting up this really long developing play with Luca coming out of the backcourt yeah, and letting yeah. him use that, the foul that, to give. That, that was could, definitely a mistake. That could have really hurt them. Yeah. Um, yeah. And also, I mean, this is a lot of this was Kleba's fault, but not imparting to your team that when you're up two, you do not give do up not, the three yeah, under any yep, circumstances. Exactly. Exactly. Particularly win, not a wide open corner yeah, three. Your win probability, unless you're taking away a layup or a dunk, your win probability is higher Letting them take any other two versus letting them take a three that with even a, a you know even a thirty percent three point shooter your your win probability is going to be higher if they take that two especially when you have time to get a shot of your own so yeah. um best specific coaching adjustments well I mean it was super effective when they finally started going after Harden <laughs> at the end of game three I mean that was that was the most effective one you would have liked to have seen him do it sooner uh. I also think, uh, what about, uh, we, you know, we haven't really talked about Portland and the Lakers at all. Yeah. But I think Stotts realizing that he could play, he realized almost right away that he could get away with playing Whiteside and Nurkic. 
uh, if the Lakers are going to match up big on them. And so he kind of went away from that Wenyan Gabriel pretty quickly, and I thought that was the right move. I think it was the right move to go away from Gabriel, but Danny and I actually spent a substantial amount of time on this uh, on yesterday's pod. Okay. I think they need to start Trent and Mello together because I they can't th- score I, right now. Yeah, um, I agree, I agree with that. I advocated for that at the beginning of the of the series that they I mean they play so much better with Trent on the floor uh in the in the bubble it's not even funny. Um and then you can play you can play Whiteside with Nurk. Although the the one thing is I th- I think he likes the idea of being able to play Whiteside with Nurk against the starters versus having to do that against uh Kuzma playing at 4. Yeah, I think that to me when we did that game for our live cast too, and it seemed like that was the idea. Is like you know they're going to have two bigs on the floor at this point in time. We know that we probably have to play those two guys together at some point just to get enough minutes, or otherwise we're going to have to play Mario Hazonia. So why not do yeah. it at the beginning? But I think I mean the problem was Trent only played twenty seven minutes. He's their best guy in LeBron, and you just got to maximize the number of minutes. That that awesome group, yeah, because they ended up playing, yeah, cause, because Trent only played twenty seven. You end up with Hisonia playing, and oh, good God, um, and then uh, Simons, who, uh, you know, actually he wasn't as bad as he's been in some other games, but it certainly isn't a, a plus guy that you want out there. Uh, as much as you can, you want to only play seven guys if you're Portland. Really, six. I mean, Gabriel's your seventh guy, right? Uh, and it's it's hard. I mean, they're just running out of players, but uh, yeah. with with what they have, and then so the other argument for starting Trent is that Nurkic is freaking dying out there. And if you can, yeah. so if you have Hassan off the bench, maybe you can go shorter stints with Nurkic and try to keep him fresh a little longer uh, by yeah. kind of kind of subbing those two back and forth. And you'll still have moments where you play the two bigs, but. You, you you might be able to to design your uh your your time on and off a little better to keep both those bigs relatively fresh the whole game. What's up, sports fans? Matt Peck here, host of Locked On Bulls, and I want to talk to you really quickly about another excellent podcast. Huge Fan is a new Sirius XM original podcast where stars talk sports. Each week, join host LaChina Robinson as she chats with your favorite celebs about childhood sports memories, game day rituals, the most heated rivalries, and more. And this new season features huge names like Anthony Ramos from In the Heights and Hamilton, Pat Carney from the Black Keys, Mel C, that's right, a.k.a. Sporty Spice from the Spice Girls, and even actress Michelle Williams talking about her love for our very own Chicago Bulls. Huge Fan is a fresh way to connect with your favorite artists, actors, and personalities about something we all understand, fandom. Huge Fan is now out on Pandora, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. And don't forget to follow the show or subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. Worst coaching job slash, uh, yeah, just overall worst coaching job. Let's start with that. I mean, is am I kicking a dead horse here to say Philly? Um, I mean, the the adju- the adjustment just wasn't there in Game Two when they were getting a. The, well, what know, the was that adjustment though? Like, I'm not I'm not sure. I mean, they just don't have any guards. Like, what Did, can you? Uh, yeah, like it's pretty, that's pretty fucking tough to overcome. You just don't have any guards. Yeah, yeah. So the thing is, the adjust any adjustment that was made probably still results in them losing the series in four or five games. So it would, nothing that happened there was ultimately costly. Uh, 
So, so I can't, I can't argue with that part. I still think the Lakers need to play smaller and force Portland to play their scrubs. Can, can I show Frank Vogel film of the Nets Sixers series from last year and show him how awesome Jared Dudley was in that series? Like, can I do that so he can stop playing Markeith Morris and actually play <laughs> someone who can, who can hit a shot and has a brain? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I mean I maybe Jared Dudley is just like struggling with injuries, and I don't realize, and he's just done or something. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of the way Damari Carroll was this year, but yeah, uh, although we haven't even really seen Carroll play either. So, uh, but Jared Dudley is like he'll actually hit some shots, and he's smart, and he'll do like it, it's it's just really weird to me that he has never been able to get some tick for this team. I I agree with that. I would like to see him out there too. I mean, I'm sure Portland will run pick and roll at him, but still, let it. You know, he like you say, he's smart. Yeah. And he he can figure some stuff out on those on those pick and rolls and and hopefully help you take away something. By the way, Caruso did a great job in Game Three, man. Yeah, and I, uh, with the exception, I would say, and I I agree with you overall. Uh, with the exception of the last few minutes of the half in the first half, Dame just went at him one on one in an ISO, and he cooked him. Yeah, and they yeah. never went back to that, which was killing. Me. I, but actually, you could probably throw stats in there. I thought he coached a really bad Game Three. Uh, mm-hmm. The more I think about it, but, uh, it, for that category of, of worst coaching job, but, uh, and they never went back to it. And I don't know, like every other position, they'll ISO guys all the time. Like the Warriors will never ISO Steph Curry against, you know, like Matthew Dellavedova or something, right? Like, yeah. Like why is it that every other position gets to ISO, but like a point guard has to run pick and roll? Like you, and you, they'll get these scrappy guys trying to guard them, but like Caruso can't stay in front of Dame Lillard if he just, put him in front of him and spread the floor. Yeah. 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 And we, you're, you're right. Cause we, we saw that when they, when he just went right at him, he was able to beat him off the dribble and get to the rim relatively easily. And it takes Anthony Davis out of his hair then too. Right. So, yeah. Because that's the problem. Like they bring all these guys way up above the three point line, showing him a bunch of bodies. Lillard, the one thing that he's not very good at is throwing the pocket pass. Like he's very casual with that pass. We saw it actually he tried to throw it a couple of times and he got a kick ball. Yeah. Uh, when he threw it in game three. So yeah, get, get these guys out of the way. Just let them kill them. And then at the other end, uh, when they run a Caruso Davis pick and roll, the, Portland knows that Davis is the threatening guy there, right? <laughs> Have they figured yeah. that out yet? No, I, yeah, we, Danny and I talked about it that extensively too. There's just no adjustment on that. And like, you know, maybe you could even bring like a third guy into that action if you're really struggling that bad or you could you could switch it and then you double team davis which he's really struggled with in the bubble mm-hmm. after after the switch i mean to have anthony davis just score like 12 points in a row on pick and pop jumpers out of that same play with caruso and that's the only thing they can run and lebron's out of the game i thought it was pretty poor yeah 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 um i'd throw mcmillan in there too where they just the overall discipline of the pacers just the attention to detail is not there you wait waiting until Game three to pretty much excise McConnell from the rotation and start Holiday, uh, and then not even playing that lineup that much either, even though it looked really good. Uh, yeah, with their starting group. Yeah, I, I thought that was it's disappointing. Weird. You know, his history is that he's been a slow playoff adjust. As good as he, as good as he's been in regular seasons, he's been slow to change the formula in the playoffs. I mean, you go back to that Portland Houston series where they played behind Yao Ming. You know, the, for what was it? The entire, he had 24 points at halftime. It was like eight for eight or something in the first game. That, it was yeah. like, yeah, maybe I want to work a little harder to deny this guy the ball. 
Um, well, and I think if they get swept today, we may have to coin a new term, which is the McMillan sweep where you get swept, but every game is close like that. Cause it'll have been, uh, three of the last four years that a McMillan team got swept in that fashion. Really? Wow. Yeah. That's well, a good so they stat. had, they had the 2017 sweep against the Cavs where they lost by four games by a total of 16 points. It was like the lowest margin of victory ever in a sweep. Then last year, they still had some pretty close games in that Pacers series or, or that Celtics series. That's and, correct. You know, they yeah. couldn't score, but they, yeah. that series wasn't close, but those, those games were close down the end. And then this one as well. I mean, there weren't, there haven't been any buzzer beaters, but it's like, it's not like they're getting completely outclassed. It's rare that you're going to have a sweep where you're not getting blown out in any game. Yeah. Yeah. Th- actually, so they are 13th in net rating right now of the 16 playoff teams. Uh, but Den- like Denver's behind them. Denver won a game. Uh, they're basically equal with Portland and Orlando. And they've won games. Um, also, another one I could point to is Mike Budenholzer going away from his normal defensive system in game one against the Magic. Eric Nem wrote about that for the athletic that, mm-hmm. and then they, you know, Vucevic killed them anyway, and they didn't protect the rim the way the Bucks normally do. So then they went back to the normal system and they, their defense has been fine the last two games, but that was Bud, who is often criticized for not adjusting enough in the playoffs, adjusts for the Orlando Magic with like half of their team out of the game. Maybe he wasn't. Injury. So maybe he wasn't adjusting for the Orlando Magic, though. Oh uh, yeah, maybe just trying to like get a little bit of yeah. That, that's a, that's a reasonable point to just like get his team yeah. used to doing that. Yeah, and to see how it looked before he had to do it against you know Toronto or the Clippers or something in a game that meant yeah. something. Um, most surprising players. Most surprising players. I mean Trey Burke. I mean goodness. Uh, you, you didn't have him out playing, uh, Paul George? Him <laughs> I did not have that on my scorecard. No, no, no. I, I think he's got to be right up there. Uh, definitely earning himself some money for this offseason. So Def- definitely yeah. a, reg- a regret in Philadelphia that they cut him and kept, you know, Howell Meadow and Kyle O'Quinn, uh, but didn't have room for Trey Burke. So, so this is a total non sequitur, nothing to do with what we were just talking about, but some have speculated that. The fact that we're in the bubble has perhaps muted certain players' extracurricular activities. Yes, and, that's a okay. and helped them to be more focused on basketball and uh, take better care of their bodies. Just a total non-sequitur. I just thought of that, but uh, so uh, but he looks fast out there, man, Trey yeah. Burke, uh, yeah. and yeah. he's blowing by guys. Like the the whole rap on him was that he couldn't get to the basket and finish yeah, and now and he was just going to yeah. give you pull up twos right and yeah but he's he's given dallas a lot more than that um any other like really surprising players that stick out to you for the good from a good standpoint uh i gotta say lugans dort um sure i didn't know he could defend like this uh you know certainly he was like okay he's a plus defender whatever you put him on you put him on yeah. guys he's better than ferguson was certainly but I mean, the way he's played against it, yeah, I mean, you just don't see people guard Harden like that. Well, I, I mean, as a rookie, and to do it without fouling, that's the biggest thing. Like, usually rookies are going to just, James Harden is going to shoot 97 free throws against them, and they're going to fall out of the game. And he, yeah, to do it yeah. without fouling has been incredible. And I think part of it is just because he's so strong, right? He's not worried constantly about getting rung over, and so he can concentrate on just moving his feet and staying in front. And not have to feel like Harden's going to just shove into him and then create space for the step back. 
Oklahoma City's overall defensive discipline in this series has been really impressive. I mean, we've we've knocked on Donovan about being late with the adjustments, but I, w- I will say, you know, there are other layers to coaching. One of them is they're they're showing their hands, they're staying straight up. Houston has the second lowest free throw rate of any playoff team, which to yeah. do that against the Rockets, I mean, I know there's no Westbrook, but still, that's impressive. Yeah, I mean, there's no, I mean, Harden did shoot 15 free throws in the last game, but it, there's nobody else who's getting any of them. That, that is true. Um, most disappointing players, Paul George, got to be a top of the list, right? That's correct. Yeah, we we talked about him already. Uh, I've got one for you though. Okay, Nikola Jokic. Yeah, just defensively, he's just getting cooked. And I think we're seeing just how dependent he was on really good defense at the point of attack, really good rotations behind him. Because, you know, their normal pick-and-roll strategy, and believe me, they've tried every single one in this mm-hmm. series, but is to have him up at the level of the ball, put two on the ball, and then force you to move the ball and rotate behind. The Jazz are a good team getting corner threes out of that. But, I mean, has he had a single stop at the rim in four games? They finally adjust to just have him basically nail his feet to the top of the charge circle and never leave there and they did at least something to take away the rim in yeah. game four, but obviously you're giving up literally everything else yeah. at that point too. Yeah. And yeah, he, he just has really struggled. And then you throw in uh, some of the other players they have in the perimeter, like Mike Porter. Well, I mean, Porter has had a target on his back the whole series. I thought, I, th- I thought Malone's lineup changed. Just on his back. I mean, I think yeah, 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 yeah. Like, like, it's like every possible part of his body. He comes yeah. in and they just go at him three plays in a row and they get eight points. Like it's insane. Yeah. 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 It was, it was pretty amazing last game from the second he checked in. It was just like, we're going to hide him on Niang. It's just like, no, you're not. Niang's setting the screen. And or, or Niang's going to drive by you for a layup. Oh, like, yeah. It's... Yeah. 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 The, dri- <laughs> the, the dribble drive to Niang was bad. Yeah. Uh, how about this? Uh, MVP. Of the playoffs and first team all playoffs. So you give me uh, five guys here. MVP of the playoffs. Uh, Got to be Luca at this point, right? Yeah, I mean, his game three wasn't amazing, but it, it, he's got it. I mean, how about Kawhi Leonard? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I realize that like the Clippers have kind of underperformed, but it hasn't been his fault. He's been awesome. Yeah, especially and especially game game three, yeah. he was absolutely I, fantastic. Yeah, and, and if you if you had to ask me, you know, who's looking like the best player in the league right now, I would still say Kawhi. It's probably more over Luka. more Kawhi more Kawhi than Giannis, right? Yes, yeah. I mean, Giannis was was awesome in, in game three, but you know, the the same warts are there for Giannis. The same yeah. things we worried about. Um, so here I'll, I'll give you my. I think there's a clear top four right now. Okay, Luca, Kawhi, Jason Tatum. Mm-hmm. And Donovan Mitchell. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I need a fifth, and I guess I might still go with Lillard. You know, he won the. He was pretty good in Game Three, even though they lost, and was awesome in Game One to win them that. What about so, LeBron James? He's only had one good game to me. I mean, I mean, get, Game One. It was a good game. He, he, yeah, I know he, he had the 15 assists, but he didn't do anything offensively in that first he, game. He did. You didn't. You didn't feel him. Although he yeah. would have had 90 assists if the Lakers had made shots. <laughs> I mean, Giannis it hasn't been quite to his usual standards, but he's, yeah. he's still been awesome, too. Like, he's got to yeah. be in there. Um, let's see here. Um, the playoff crucible. I think we'll talk about this every week, I think, when we do mm-hmm. this. The rotation players who either withstood the playoff crucible or turned to ash. Right, right. 
You know who withstood? You know who's kind of withstanding the crucible right now who didn't expect? Uh, Brad Wanamaker. Kind of been pretty solid. Yeah. But I mean, we'll see in the Toronto series. Yeah. That's I mean, obviously be... more of a test yeah. coming up, but like he's hit some pull up shots and, and like been not, not a zero offensively, which is kind of what Boston needs. And then you know, you're going to get pretty decent defense out of him. I've been surprised how playable he's been. Um, Lou Dort, obviously we've talked about him. Yep. Trey Burke and Seth Curry, you would have thought would just be complete meat defensively, and they've yes. instead outplayed Paul George. Uh, Boban as well. I mean, yeah. when Boban is out there against Harrell, it's actually advantage Mavs. Yeah, Harrell, uh, he's got a long way to go to get back to, to where he was. Mm-hmm. Um, Duncan Robinson would be one for me. They have targeted him repeatedly, and it's actually been just fine. And he's killed him on the other end. Yeah, although he's they've gone away from him a couple times late in games. Yeah, I, I was critical of Hero for instead. that. Yeah, I, I didn't quite get that. I thought actually Robinson held up a little better defensively than Hero. Oh, certainly than compared to Hero. Yeah, yeah. And he's a better shooter. Yeah, yeah. I actually um, think teams kind of screw themselves trying to attack Robinson too much, thinking they have more of an advantage than they really have. Yep. All right, who turned to Ash? Well, I mean, I would say Porter definitely has been exposed. Uh, yeah. At the at the defensive end. Uh, so, so that's been a, that's been a factor. I mean, Uh, let me ask you this question. Like how many back doors has Utah given up in this game to Nikola Jokic passing into somebody like three? Very rare. So, and the other thing we haven't really seen is that five, one pick and roll with, with Murray and Jokic. Yeah. They've gone to that a little bit more off the ball, uh, with Murray screening for Jokic. Like that's a pet ATO for Malone, but yeah, you're right. We haven't seen that as much. I, I agree. Gobert has been awesome though, man. Like he's, he just does so many things that like centers just don't do. Like he's, and maybe I should have talked about him. He wasn't as good in game four, but I think he's really in the first three games in particular, he's really made Jokic just kind of like a pick and pop guy. Yeah. He, and Jokic is such a versatile game. Like they, they haven't been able to really force help. And Jokic, I mean, what's his max and assist? Maybe like six. Yeah. Yeah. And they, yeah, they've taken away his post ups and then. The other thing that's making Utah really hurt that drop coverage is that Gobert, as always, is screening the absolute crap out of people. Yep. Right? Like, he's getting a good, solid hit on these guards every single time, and so it's given Mitchell a runway. Yeah, and he had, I mean, he's finishing everything around the rim where he's gotten so much better, uh, even on non-dunks around the rim than he was, you know, when he first came into the league. And, I mean, he had 20 points in the first half in Game 3, although that's basically, yeah. Total dominant second quarter by him. Although, yes, he was. It was. It, it was a little bit like going to the park and jumping off a trampoline and, and dunking like that level of defense. Um, T.J. McConnell, as happens every year in the playoffs, uh, just too limited uh, mm-hmm. as a shooter, has to have the ball. Um, you know, uh, Dalen Wright, uh, surprisingly uh, for yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I know you guys liked him when, when you acquired him. After all, in that yeah. trade, but he, you know. It had been going this way the second half of the season for him. Yeah. And with his his inability to shoot and you're having him play off the ball all the time if you're Dallas. Like I think if he's playing on the ball, the shooting is less of a liability. But if you're just having him as another guy playing off the ball, like he's a hard guy to play with Luka, I think. Yeah. The uh, much as it pains me to say it because I've always loved this guy's game, but Al Horford. Yeah. Hasn't hasn't looked great. Hasn't looked great for him. Uh, 
And again, I think I think if he can go back to being a full time five, there might be more value there. Yeah, we'll see. Maybe there'll be someone who could rehabilitate him. What about uh Andrew Wiggins for Al Horford? Wow. Wow. That's I actually I don't I actually don't think I would do that if I were the Warriors. That's interesting though. The the Draymond Horford fit is, is not It's still great. a little shaky, right? Yeah. yeah. And and I mean maybe I mean Wiggins at least plays a position that they need, but I don't know. We'll see. There's a lot of variables there. Last question here. Mm-hmm. Front office experience okay. for you. What's it like when you are in the playoffs as a front office? Like, uh, What are you doing during that time? It's it's weird because – so usually th- – this year is weird because usually you're dealing with, with a lot of draft stuff at the same time. You're dealing with draft workouts. Uh, you're setting up for your offseason, so you're figuring out – Things like exit interviews and, uh, staff contracts for the following season. And there's, there's usually a lot of that going on. A lot of times the playoffs are usually happening in May. Uh, a lot of guys are off in Europe at that point scouting. Yeah. Uh, but typically when you're, if you're, if you're in the United States, you're traveling with your team to every game. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of, it's it's a weird time because you can't really make any moves, um, but you can talk to the coaches about some things that are happening and what they're seeing. You can uh, you, you usually end up spending a little bit of time on stuff dealing with how your previous game was officiated. Let's say, um, you know, doing doing reports just about, a, like just a little bit of time. Uh, well, like there there's a whole process for actually filing a report to the to the league about. Things that may have happened in the previous yeah, game but, that you thought. So was is it like is it like a fax machine at the league office with the you have the number to a fax machine at the league office that like spits it out and like the paper just goes directly into a shredder that like, no one reads it is that is that what the no, process uh, is I I would not be surprised if that were the case but <laughs> we uh, we we nonetheless you know make our make our phone calls and and send in those. Uh, those reports. It depends too. So there's two, a couple different things. Um, things dealing with confrontations, like fights, suspensions, um, yeah. flagrant foul reviews, and then things about the general officiating, like um, that. So I'll use an example with us: the take that, the infamous take that for data game, where I mean, I spent basically the whole next day watching and rewatching that game and going over with a couple other staff members the report we sent into the league and what we were going to put into it and what clips we wanted and. Um, so, so, so there's dealing with that, which you wouldn't bother doing for a regular season game, but in a, sure. in a playoff series, you're, you're going to go ahead and do that. You might see those same officials again, even. So, the, so there, there's more and less to do at the same time, because when you're not doing that stuff, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of time you're kind of, there's, for lack of a better term, chilling in the, you know, in the team hotel, especially when you're on the road. Um, you know, you might have an off day, you might not even practice. So. But there's there's a lot going on still at that time of year that doesn't have anything to do with your team in the playoffs, and so you're dealing with that at the same time, which makes it a little more interesting. So 2018 game three, Toronto against the Cavs. OG Ananobi is guarding LeBron James. Dwayne Casey doesn't double team. They're down 2-0 in the series, and LeBron hits a ridiculous one foot jumper off the backboard. Yep. Reporting after that indicated that like Masai Ujiri went into the locker room and like got in Dwayne Casey's face about like not double teaming and like lack of adjustments as they go mm-hmm. down three zero. I mean, is that 
I mean, maybe not to the extent of like, you know, having a confrontation, but is the front office, I mean, both from your own experience and what you've heard around the league, like, are they that involved in kind of what the coaching staff is doing at that point in the season? Or is that like really an aberration that's like a total uh, faux pas there by Ujiri? It's an aberration that you would jump the coach like that right after the game. Um, usually after the ga- directly after the game is the worst time to talk to the coach. I found. Yeah. Um, and so now I've obviously, I mean, I, I was not the GM. He was. So there was a little more of a power dynamic there where that, you know, that might have been more okay. Uh, but I always thought it was better to talk the next morning when things had calmed down a little bit. Everyone had time to rewatch the game and, and then you could really have a more rational conversation about what people were thinking and what happened and stuff. And a lot of times it could just be, it's a little more organic too, because it's happening maybe on the bus to the arena if you're on the road or on the practice court or it it just, I don't know. When, when, when you're, when you're just accosting a guy right after the game, it's, it's hard for something good to come out of that. Well, and it's also probably not going to be a private conversation at that point either. Like there's always going to be people around. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So there are sometimes when you have to have a conversation right after the game, it's if it deals with an internal matter with the team, let's say, but to just talk about decisions and methods or whatever, that you can always have that conversation the next morning, I feel like. Is everyone in the front office rewatching the game like immediately that night? It depends. Um or or like tomorrow morning, but at some point like you're definitely like rewatching just to I, for, I usually for, uh, I usually like to rewatch our, our playoff games. There were sometimes I couldn't, um, either because you're traveling or uh, or there's other things going on that take precedence. But always re- always really like to to understand what I was seeing, especially if it was a close game. Like if we lost by thirty, maybe <laughs> maybe you're less inclined to rewatch. Yeah, yeah. I guess you weren't probably pouring over like. 2016 against the Spurs when you guys uh, you well know, we were had yeah I mean 30 we were, guys on the roster at the, some point during the year yeah we were drawing dead at that point but the, yeah. the the other playoff years yeah we're definitely more likely to all right well this is fun I can't wait to get back and talk uh, next week and I, I want to remind you guys I'm actually starting a subscription service for Dunkdown four days a week that's starting on September 8th but you can get special pre-sale pricing that will lock you in forever at that price. And we're never going to offer it again after September 8th. So if you love uh, Dunked On, give that a look. It's dunkedon.supportingcast.fm. I'm going to put that in the show notes. And you can read John's piece uh, about Philly and the process and how the process was uh, subverted. I'm looking forward to reading that, actually, as soon as we're done here. Uh, anything else we got to talk about, or should we pack it in here? Uh, I, well, I got an Eastern Conference second round preview coming later this week, so keep your eye out for that. And uh, then I, I think we can pack it in now. All right, we'll talk to you all next week. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 
21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.